Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host the USGA Green Section Agronomist of the Southeast Region, Mr. Jordan Booth. This was such an awesome episode where we discussed so much about what the USGA does and sort of his career uh, through Virginia Tech and how his research and his time as a researcher truly prepared him for his current role with the USGA where he's found a passion for making sure that he's connecting the research that's being conducted by all the different colleges from NC State, Virginia Tech, Georgia, and uh, Clemson to the superintendents in his region. And it truly is inspiring to hear about how that truly has become one of his main passions and his works to truly connect these two sides of what turfgrass is and how the research truly does have a lasting impact on how a golf course superintendent runs this, their cultural practices and different things on their course. Um, he also gets into the different things about networking and how truly incredible and the impact it has on one's career um, and being able to talk to the different superintendents, different uh, golf course managers all over the southeast region. Um, and creating this network and better understanding of connecting one with the other and being just a great advocate for all different things in the industry. Um, we also get into different things like data-driven decisions from, uh, he speaks about their pro- podcast, the USGA podcast, which is an awesome podcast, definitely check it out. Um, how they're talking about uh, organic matter percentages in golf greens and how to standardize the practice of what is in that test and how to better use that information to better their greens in their uh, perspective, uh, respective places. And it truly is an incredible episode, um, and we hope that everybody uh, enjoys it. And we can't thank Jordan enough for taking the time. He's an awesome person. I had the honor of meeting him down when I tech when I was an undergraduate, and he's just an incredible human being, and we can't thank him enough. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good morning and welcome to the 51st episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller. Today we have an incredible guest, uh, a longtime friend of the Virginia Tech Turf family when I was an undergraduate. Uh, we have Jordan Booth the USGA Green Section Agronomist for the Southeast Region. How are you doing this morning? Great, Drew. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for taking the time. I do want to take a moment uh, for all of our listeners out there uh, who remember Rylan Harris, our uh, first uh, co-host, our original uh, co-host. He's having a really tough fight with cancer right now and he's had a couple of hiccups of late and i just want to get everyone to keep praying for him and keeping your thoughts and prayers especially in this next couple of days uh we really appreciate everyone and your support and love for rylan and i know he appreciates it so i want to get into it uh we met again uh when i was an undergraduate and you were working with dr mccall at Virginia Tech, uh, and you were working at the enrichment, correct? Am I wrong in saying that? Uh, at the short course for research base uh, 
What was the specific golf course? I'm sorry. I can't remember. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Virginia Tech has a partnership with Independence Golf Club. And so there's a nine hole par three short course um, that I've managed the research for for the last four years. Um, and now Travis Robinson's in that role. So um, my, yeah, my undergraduate uh, classmate. Yeah, he's awesome. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. You know Travis. Yep. Yeah, me and Travis were classmates together. He was a year older than me, I believe. Great guy. Uh, I actually saw him when he, like the first week he took your job uh, after you'd left. And I was like, hey, welcome back. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so what I sort of want to hear is, again, those were just four years. You were a longtime superintendent before that. And now you're with the USGA. What was that journey sort of like to get to this point to really be with such a uh, predominant organization in golf? Yes, yeah, a great question. So certainly, <clears throat> so I started um, my turfgrass journey, so to speak, um, at Clemson University. Uh, got in the turfgrass program there. Uh, really enjoyed the game of golf. Really enjoyed being outdoors um, and, and working outside. You know, honestly, was not a was not a great student at Clemson. Um, you know, enjoyed life. Enjoyed you know everything that went along with it football games and whatnot. And, um, and so, yeah, really was, was, was interested in the golf business and, and, and the, you know, the turf grass industry, that sort of thing. So did some internships in golf. Um, and then in 04, 05 was hired, um, to come on as the assistant superintendent at uh, Willow's country club. Not too long after that, um, went through a complete golf course renovation where I learned just so much. And I've been part of that, uh, process as an intern at the Country Club of Virginia. Um, so even though I was at Clemson, my, my roots were, were deeply in Virginia. Um, and we also lived in the, in the Carolinas, you know, growing up. But um, for, for high school, a lot of my later formative years were, were spent in Richmond, Virginia. So, um, so yeah, I learned a lot during those golf course renovation processes, you know, that would end up, you know, coming, coming online down the road um, as far as USGA spec you know, putting greens and, and all sorts of things like that. So really interesting start to the journey. Uh, when I was in, in my superintendent career, I worked with USGA agronomists, um, Stan Zontag, Darren Brevard, you know, really learned a lot from those, from those individuals. Um, but, you know, it was always, you know, as, as I matured a little bit after, after my undergrad days, I, uh, I really enjoyed the, the education process and kind of, you know, being a lifelong learner. Um, my wife was going through a PhD program, um, kind of on the medical side of things. So a little bit different, but I watched her go through that, um, you know, and, and she was kind of always challenged. And, and, um, <clears throat> and so I just brought on a, a new curiosity. And then Dr. McCall was doing his PhD research when he was pursuing his PhD. Um, and he did some of that research in fan, you know, putting green fans. And so I worked with him on that when I was uh, at Willow Oaks Country Club. And he was like, you know, you might be a really good graduate student as he was putting together his program. And so we just got to talking and, you know, um, ended up coming on board as a master's student in 2016 while I was still a superintendent. So I was commuting back and forth from Richmond to Blacksburg. And so that was an amazing experience. Learned a lot. Learned a lot about myself, what I knew, what I didn't know. Um, you know, learned a lot about the folks at Virginia Tech at that time. And then 
Um, came on board full time in 2018 at the Independence uh, Turfgrass Research Center. Uh, so I was in research and extension. So I got to work closely with a lot of my buddies in the golf course industry there in Virginia. And then um, also um, was pursuing a PhD, which uh, hopefully I'll defend uh, my dissertation this December. And so throughout the journey, I've learned a lot about myself. You know, I've, I've learned that I really have a passion for connecting the turfgrass research community with the end user and, and vice versa, right? I always say that, you know, superintendents kind of figure out the, the how and researchers figure out the why. So really got to see both of those things firsthand. And then when the uh, green section agronomist position in the Southeast, so there's two of us in the Southeast, myself and Dr. Steve Kammerer, um, Steve's really focused on Florida. And so this position is really focused on the Carolinas, Georgia, Tennessee. So um, areas that I was very comfortable with, you know, growing, growing uh, bent grass in very stressful situations or ultra dwarf Bermuda grass, which is what my research is focused on for the last four years. Uh, I jumped at the opportunity and luckily the USGA uh, brought me on. Um, so I started in May. And so I'm really just getting my feet under me. Um, I, with my family and I, we moved to Pinehurst, North Carolina, which we are thrilled about. Obviously, a little bit bittersweet leaving leaving Virginia, but but yeah, super excited, um, and it's just been a wonderful start to my career with USGA. Well, they couldn't have found a better guy. I know that, and I know everyone at Tech speaks so highly of you. Uh, so it's I'm I'm happy for you, and that's awesome that you're getting to do this. Um, so I want to sort of dive into the, your time with Dr. McCall. You know, you were talking about the fans, and that's become such a uh, normal practice, you know, in the industry all across the country. And you also probably worked with him with his latest research in precision agriculture with drones and the GPA spray rig. You know, there are so many different things that research brings into the fold, like you were saying, um, could you sort of discuss some of those different trials that you worked with him on that have sort of become that, that, um, huge impacting factor of practices that are now cultural practices that weren't maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Certainly. Yeah. And so in Dr. McCall's lab, you know, I've been very fortunate to work with a, with a wide range of, of, of people. Um, and certainly at, at the forefront of his lab, what he's looking at is some of these, you know, newer technologies, um, precision turf grass management, site-specific applications, um, and then at, at the uh, end of the day, we're looking at some really basic cultural practices and, you know, important diseases and, and how we can think about managing them a little bit differently. So my, my master's project was using drones um, and precision guided, you know, site-specific management of spring dead spots. So it's an important disease of Bermuda grass, especially in the transition zone, anywhere where Bermuda grass enters winter dormancy. And so I was fortunate enough to work on that project. Um, we're, we're finally getting some of that stuff published. Um, but Dr. McCall has been a great leader, you know, in the industry for that for that sort of work. I mean, you know, internationally known um, and brings a lot of credibility to Virginia Tech. And he's he's great at collaborating with other departments, right? So we collaborated with the autonomous group from mechanical engineering, and he's collaborating with all sorts of folks, you know. Um, not just on the technology, but how people interact with the technology. And so it's this, it's this growing field, and he is one of the leaders in our industry. So 
certainly everything that, that we do in Dr. McCall's lab has kind of a technology slant, but um, you know, my counterparts like Travis Robertson is using that technology to look at water management, which is obviously one of the critical needs for research in our industry, especially in the you know, United States Southwest. And then Wendell Hutchings is looking at spring dead spot management at a, at a core epidemiology, you know, start, right? Right. How, how we got here and, and where we're going with, with that research and some of the real basics. Um, but of course, bringing in, you know, the, the technology, uh, technology slant of, of how we're going to find new ways to manage this, this problematic disease. So, um, you know, I've been, been involved with a lot of that work when I was, you know, my primary focus at Independence was ultra dwarf Bermuda grass research. Um, and, you know, after we lost a bunch of grass in 2017, 2018, right when I was coming on board, we had a really hard winter. It became obvious that because of our location so far north, we'd be a perfect, perfect place to, uh, to do cold tolerance work of ultra dwarf. So I was lucky. I got to work with everything from you know, annual bluegrass weevil and cool season fairway management to, to ultra dwarf, you know, so it was great in Virginia. We really can, can do research on, uh, on every type of turf grass and, and growing environment and whatnot. So, uh, was, was very fortunate to work with Dave on a lot of those projects. Gotta love our climate. You know, it's just the best of both worlds. If, if, if you want to say the best, you or know, the worst, or the worst of both worlds. How exactly. Oh man. It's like to, uh, these days where it's 105 and then you get to like the really bad winters and it's like negative 10 and you're like, what is going on? You know, what are we supposed yeah. to do? Um, so I want to sort of talk a little bit more about your research. Uh, and again, like you said, we're in such a unique place where, again, we're at that top part of the transition zone. And in Richmond, it's not even the top, top anymore because, again, you were talking about the cold tolerant uh, uh, type of Bermuda grass. I mean, it's pushed its way all the way up into uh, Philadelphia with the Eagles. And I understand it's completely different, again, setting, height of cut and everything, but people are pushing the envelope with the new genetical genetics out oh, genetical. I apologize for that genetics of these Bermuda grasses. Um, what did you sort of see? And again, you had that harsh 2017. And I remember that winter cause it was legitimately like a month of like straight zero degree days and it just didn't stop. And I thought we were going into the ice age. <laughs> um, what were you, sort of your uh, findings? And again, how did you sort of bring that into, uh, say, a greenskeeper in Virginia saying that ultra dwarf is a good option or bent grass or whatever your findings were? If you could sort of talk about that, that would be great. Right. So, you know, right in the spring of 2018, coming out of that really harsh winter, um, you know, I, I think... <laughs> Any ultra dwarf Bermuda grass putting green momentum that was had in Virginia as far as conversions was lost, right? We saw obviously a lot of the weaknesses. And so the breeders are doing an excellent job with a lot of the hybrid Bermuda grasses, right? Um, Tahoma 31, uh, Latitude 36, and, and, and Iron Cutter. There's a lot of great hybrid Bermuda grasses, like you say, more of your um, athletic field height of cut or tees and fairways height of cut um, that are coming on the market. And um, those are being bred for cold tolerance. Ultra dwarf Bermuda grasses, that's not the primary goal in breeding right now. Um, and so really 
really we're looking at management of those grasses, not as many newer grasses that we think are going to be more cold tolerant. And there's a spectrum of cold tolerance. You know, our, our colleagues at, at Arkansas have, have done a lot of that work and, and we've, we've done some of that work now with my work, but you know, they're all going to, they're all going to struggle when you get down below 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're really focused on um, covering Dr. Goatley's been a real leader in, in that field for a long time with his work at Mississippi State. He's done a lot of that work at Virginia Tech. So different covering methods, um, thresholds, how, how we go about doing that is really important. Um, we're looking at plant growth regulators, uh, primarily Primo Max, and, and how we can utilize that plant growth regulator on ultra growth Bermuda grass going into the winter. And so that's another phase of my life where the USGA was involved. We got a grant from the USGA to look at these, you know, winter management of ultra growth Bermuda grasses. So we were looking at at the, the Primo Max programs, we've been looking at uh, coeration programs, right? So how do we manage um, our cultural practices and, and what kind of impact that's gonna have on cold tolerance of these ultra dwarfs? And, and kind of looking at building a playbook, right? If golf courses do start converting, that's similar trend that we've seen, seen in the Carolinas. If that was to continue in Virginia over the next five or 10 years, what would a playbook look like for our superintendents, right? Where would we be, um, in five or 10 years managing these turf grasses. So we're looking at aeration programs, and we're also looking at a lot of our fungicide and plant protective programs to produce the best, best playing surfaces. Because at the end of the day, that's what our job is. We produce playing surfaces. It's for a particular sport, it's for golf, it's for a very unique sport because we have multiple heights of cut, multiple goals with every one of our, you know, of our different settings on the golf course. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know any other field where we're trying to literally grow one height of cut grass to make it as difficult as possible for the golfer. And then one height of cut, you know, for on the playing service to make the ball roll as perfectly as possible. So we're, we're doing a lot of different things in golf. We have a lot of different goals, but, but that's kind of been, been the backbone of what we've been doing uh, with that work. And I, that's what I've always found so fascinating about golf, what you just said. I mean, it's incredible to see, again, a rough cut at four inches or higher, and then you go down to the putting green, and it's a pool table perfectly in line. Nothing's wrong with it. It's just crazy to me, you know? Um, and like you said, the skill set that it takes and the knowledge and the work that you guys do in the research side to make sure that everything sort of – it's not easier, but everybody has a good understanding. Again, Ultra Dwarf Bermudas, like you said, are pretty new to, again, that transition zone space. So uh, I, I just think it's awesome. I'm always so interested in all the research and everything. So um, a couple more questions about, again, tech specifically uh, before we head into the USGA, which is why we're doing <laughs> So I'm excited to hear about that. Um, why was what was the draw to join the turf, the tech turf team, you know, um, being, again, sort of a long tenured superintendent and just sort of you sort of talked about a little bit how Dr. McCall said you might be a good addition and whatnot. But what was sort of that draw and what was sort of the decision making process to become a part of that? Well, I think with with my master's work, you know, I think my father taught me a long time ago, never turned down a free education, right? So I was, I was, I had the opportunity to go back and get my master's for, for very little cost, you know? And so I, I thought that was going to be part of my process of continuing my superintendent career, right? Hopefully landing the next job and uh, just making myself a better superintendent. And what I found was a real passion for the research 
interacting with different people. I, I love the academic setting as far as the collaborative nature, you know, a lot of great back and forth, you know, spirited debate, but with a real cultural mutual, a real culture of mutual respect. And I just love that environment, you know, Dr. McCall, Dr. Goatley, Dr. Askey, Dr. Zhang, you know, the whole Turfgrass research team uh, at Virginia Tech really welcomed me with open arms. And so I brought a little bit different perspective and at the time, I, I thought there, there was a little bit of a disconnect between the golf course industry, right? The real people, boots on the ground, folks doing the work, and the university. And I wanted to connect those dots, right? It, it always frustrated me that it seemed like research was not always applicable. Um, and, and so I always wanted my research to make sense, to help the end user. Um, and so I really found a passion for helping connect those dots, connecting the research and the golf course superintendents and the golf courses, right? Um, and so that's what, what I've discovered. And so when I had the opportunity to join the turf team, um, I jumped at it. Absolutely. Um, and you kind of answered the question, but I'm going to ask anyways. Um, with everything in turf management, again, there are so many different areas and so many different ways to get involved in turf, whether it's sales, sports, turf, golf, whatever it is. Um, what was it that again sort of that moment where you sort of decided okay this is this is what i want to do you know uh you you you've said earlier that you uh found a love through golf you love playing golf and everything um i also am sort of curious how that research aspect sort of came to fruition and sort of became a really big part of what your career has become and your time uh in the industry as a whole Sure. So I think I was always, you know, curious. I always enjoyed being outside and, and asking questions. Um, you know, probably a little bit of a pain as a child. You know, I, I never followed normal trends. I certainly wasn't going to be someone that sat in an office all day. Um, you know, really, that just wasn't going to be what I was going to do. So, uh, and I found that in a job at a golf course when I was a kid, right? When I was going before college. And I, you know, I got to be outside. I got to, you know, have my afternoons free. Um, you know, you're constantly, you know, getting a little exercise, whatever. If I was getting ready for the football season, whatever it was, I got to work with with a lot of my my friends, right? Like, you know, people that I, you know, I was I was working in a multi, you know, generational environment, multicultural environment. I was learning from older folks, you know, seeing what they were doing. I learned that it was a career. You know, one of my early mentors was. John Penny Packer, he was, he was a great superintendent. And, you know, I just, I just developed a love for, for that, for that industry. Um, and I don't think anything else is like it. It's hard to describe, right? Coming into work, watching the sunrise, you know, working with your hands, getting some exercise in the morning, um, right? Growing, growing a, a, a crop, you know, and turf grass, even if I couldn't name all those things at the time, it was just exciting and fun. And you got to see, right. The, the benefits of your, of your labor, but there's things that frustrated me, things I didn't understand, you know, questions that others weren't asking. And so I think that's the awesome part about research is that, you know, you get to ask those questions and help answer them. Um, and, and still what I keep going back to is that, you know, the one, if I learned anything working at Virginia Tech is that I don't know much, right? But, but I know how to ask for help and ask questions. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons is, right, if you don't have the answer, don't make it up. Go find the person with the answer. Or the cool part about research is you can develop, you know, your own methods and materials to, 
to hopefully begin to answer some of those questions. So I think that's what the curiosity and, and the love of the, you know, love of the profession are really what brought me to research um, and hopefully making it applicable, you know, for really what the end user is doing. Um, you know, there's a lot of research that's very important, you know, whether it be microbiome or, you know, some of these higher level thought process things, you know, one of our colleagues at University of Maryland, Joe Doherty, does a lot of work in that stuff. And I always tell Joe, you're, you're speaking over my head, man. You know, I just, I, I can't relate to it. So that's just about me. That's not about Joe. I love Joe. He's a very smart guy. Um, but, you know, sometimes you got to bring it down to my level and kind of how it impacts the day-to-day of, of, the, of the golf course. Yeah, that was, that was Dr. Askew to me in my undergrad. I was just like, how do you know all this? Like, there's so many different things on one label, and he just rattles it all off. I'm like, this isn't normal, you know? This, I'm just, it's yeah. just normal. Well, those, yeah, those, those, those people like Dr. Askew, right, have given their life to this thing. They've Absolutely. given their life to this particular discipline, and his is, you know, turfgrass weed science, and he's an expert. And it's unbelievable. And that's that's how you know when you're around people like him or Dr. Goatley or, you know, Dr. McCall, you realize how much you don't know. So I think it's great. You know, I, I hope that I get to experience a life, you know, long learning, you know, through the USGA and my relationship with all these great universities, um, because I, I know that I don't know much right now. Uh, I'm about uh, a light year behind you on all that knowledge, you know. <laughs> so uh i do want to get into usga um could you sort of speak to what your current position is and what it entails um like you said just said you were t- working with a bunch of different universities and i want to get into that too um but just sort of again overall what you're doing and uh what you're focused on whether it's preparing for amateurs professional usga events different things along those lines Sure. So uh, as the USGA green section agronomist, a little bit of background, the green section has been around for the last roughly 100 years. We celebrated our centennial uh, last year. So it's been about 100 years. And really, as the game became popular, the game of golf in the United States, right, there needed to be an organization to, to kind of, you know, develop the rules and regulations within the green section to develop, you know, methods and Kind of, kind of look at, at ways we need to be building golf courses and maintaining golf courses. So the green section has a great legacy in America with the game of golf um, being at the forefront of you know collaboration and working with researchers and you know developing standards and um, standardizing our methods of how we do things. So um, that's a little bit about the green section um, in 2021. That looks a lot different, but still. A big part of my role is working with golf courses and helping them, right? How do they achieve their goals? Because obviously every golf course is different um, and what their goals are, um, what resources they have, their environment they're in, the grasses they're maintaining, right? So there's just so many different factors. So it's not like they're, we're trying to get golf courses um, to, to manage a certain way to some sort of, you know, code like a construction company. We want to help them meet their specific goals. So I work, I would say 70% of my job is in, is in that realm. Um, and a big part of that is continuing my relationships with the great, you know, um, state universities throughout the Southeast. And so I've, I've visited, you know, already NC State and Clemson and Tennessee and Georgia in my travels because I want to know the, the cutting edge research that's going on right now. 
right? And how that'll help our golf course superintendents. Um, and the USGA is, is the largest um, funder of turf grass research. Um, and so we're publishing some information right now. The USGA has had a $1.8 billion impact on the turf grass industry, uh, right? With the research that we funded. So we've done some peer reviewed uh, journal work that our director of research, Cole Thompson, has led, and so it, it's really been impactful. So I, I wanna know the research, right? And how do I connect the research to the end user? Just like in my role at Virginia Tech, that's really what I see myself doing. Um, a, a smaller part of my job is helping golf courses prepare for USGA championships. So there's 14 championships that the USGA um, operates. So we're looking at, um, you know, US men's and women's open are gonna be here in Pinehurst in the next three years, right? The women's open is, at Pine Needles. So I'm actually going to be there on Monday. Uh, and then the, the men's open is at Pinehurst. And, and we couldn't have a better relationship with any golf course in the Southeast than the folks at Pinehurst. So that'll be in 2024. So we're working with those championships. Really, at the end of the day, that's a, that's a pretty small part of my job. But we learned so much about, you know, developing um, surfaces for championships that it does help us you know, get better at what we do when it comes to working with other golf courses. So uh, we have 14 distinct championships that we operate, you know, throughout the country. And then we partner uh, with the RNA for the Walker Cup and the Curtis Cup. So um, that's a that's a smaller part of what we do. And the, the amateur events are so very important. We have the, the women's mid-am here in, uh, in South Carolina at Berkeley Hall um, in September. So any of those events in our region we're helping work with. Um, and so, and then what's been really interesting to me is getting to work with like our distance insight report team, looking at that stuff, you know, all of the different, you know, resources and tools that the USGA has, whether it be, you know, I've loved working with the equipment standards folks, you know, the machinist at the equipment standards department, you know, people just like the, you know, just like the equipment managers, mechanics that we work with on the golf course, there are these people that are helping develop, you know, tools and equipment to, to measure the, the equipment um, in the game of golf. So it's been really cool to, to work with those folks and see that side of the business. And, and, and I've already learned a lot, but have a lot more to learn for sure. 1.8 billion is a big number. I'm going to say that. That's <laughs> big number. Yeah, it's what, you know, so the USGA has given a lot of resources um to the turf grass research community but that's been the impact right because there's the research that we might have on you know cold tolerance breeding right does not just apply to golf that'll apply to sports fields kind of like you alluded to um you know a critical thing that the usga is looking at right now with golf courses in the western part of the country right is water management and so so many universities have been on the forefront of that research and so usga uh, you know whether it be turf grass reduction or different irrigation methods, or more drought-tolerant turf grasses. I visited Utah State recently, and that's basically all they're looking at is drought tolerance and uh, turf grass selection. So, um, I really think it's it's critical that we continue to to research how we reduce inputs um, within golf course management, especially when we have limiting factors like water. It's it's incredible to see because. Uh... Uh, I think we had, uh, I think it was the Mid-Atlantic GCSAA rep, and he was talking about how the use of water is like less than half a percent of all the water used. And people think golf courses are the ones that use all the water and cause all the problems and everything. And it's, 
incredible to see that people are still even trying to reduce past that because again california right now it's incredible that it it's just unbelievable to see and it's unfortunate to see the other part of it you know where the water is needed uh with the fires and everything but something that i'm really curious about um especially with your role with usga for every for all the the times in class you hear usga spec uh sand usga spec green you're now part of that group that's creating the spec versus when you were superintendent trying to meet the spec you know um what is it like to be on sort of that side of that setting and the standards and bettering them for superintendents across the country? Like you said, there's more work. There's always more to progress um, and better. What is that sort of like? And do you see any new uh, USGA grade things that uh, could be coming out that will help the superintendent and greenskeepers? Sure, great question. Yeah, so like I talked about, you know, whether I was part of a construction project or whatever, you're constantly working with USGA specifications for putting greens, right? And so that's something that's been developed with turfgrass researchers as well as the USGA over the course of, like I said, about 100 years, right? We, we want to make sure, at least in a putting green setting, right, we're, we're properly draining, we have enough pore space for healthy rooting. Um, you know, but we are holding enough water. So that's the balance, right? How do we move water while holding enough, you know, to, su to supplement what the, what the grass needs? And then at the end of the day, like I said, I mean, we are providing a playing surface for golf. So we don't need to be, um, you know, we're not producing a crop or, you know, like a, like a field crop. We, we are producing a playing surface for golf, but it needs to be healthy and it needs to, you know, to survive year in, year out and, and, and be a long-term asset for our golf courses. So um, those standards are amazing. Those are moving targets, right? I think one thing we take pride in at the USGA is as, as we learn new things and develop new, new uh, methods, right? Like variable depth um, in our putting green mixes, right? We used to have issues with if there was a knob and you know, a golf course architect run a little bit, a little bit higher, right? You push a little more greens mix back there, right? Well, not only is that a slope and water moves off of that, right? Gravity is undefeated still, um, but also there's more mix, more gravitational pull through the profile, right? And those areas are, are draining even faster. And, and those are going to be our problem areas on older golf courses. So let's just flip that, right? In low-lying areas where water is going to pool anyways, let's make those areas deeper. So I think we're willing to change our recommendations and specifications. And that's something that, that I'm really, you know, I think is very important, right? Admit when there's a new, better way to do something and advocate for that, right? The USGA is not, not, we're not selling anything. We're just trying to develop standards and specifications to help golf courses. Um, we have some really cool tools that I can't even talk about, right? We're going through, going through some process that I've been able to see and lucky enough to work with. Um, that I think is just going to really revolutionize some new metrics of how we, how we look at uh, measuring putting green, um, you know, performance. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then, you know, Brian Whitlark is working, you know, he's, he's a senior agronomist in, in the Southwest, and he's looking at standardizing how we, how we uh, analyze organic matter. Um, and he's doing that with with a, a lot of, you know, great research institutes, you know, universities around the country. So things like that. Um, I'm certainly the low man on the totem pole, right? There are eight, eight 
agronomist at, uh, at kind of my level, what I do. So they certainly haven't asked me to develop any, any standards or specs yet. Um, but I, I'm excited to work. In, yeah, in, in you'll definitely. You'll definitely be there soon. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I love how there's just stuff that's hidden. Nobody knows about and no one's prepared for, you know, I, I look back at uh, Dr. Askew and his five different uh, uh, putters, uh, mechanical right. putters and this kind of putter. And I don't know what you're using to make that ball move really, but it's, it's really cool to see that again, everyone's trying to better the, uh, way that you can care for your greens and it's crazy that there's technology coming out soon and that'll be awesome to see um something that i also it's interesting again in your role you have such an impact on courses in the southeast what's most exciting to you uh again you recently started in this role um what's most exciting sort of for you moving forward and again being that person for the superintendent that can help them when they're having issues when they have needs that need uh met when it comes to again culturally speaking uh for their course right so certainly i think you know one thing that's really exciting right now that i'm seeing on almost all my visits with golf courses is the game is really thriving right and so we're looking at renovation work and, and how to how to accommodate right the new demand and how to balance that with the fact that we assume demand is going to drop off at some point so we don't want to spend too much money but we do need to upgrade some facilities that have probably you know been lacking because there wasn't as much demand uh prior to 2020 so uh that's an exciting trend i'm seeing right now uh another exciting trend that i'm seeing right now is, is how golf courses are dealing with the labor shortage right labor is is really difficult to come by. Um, and so something that I'm really excited about is, is uh, women entering, you know, the golf course maintenance industry. And hopefully, I, I know you have some great young women in, in your program, Drew, um, but I've talked to golf courses that upwards of 30 to 50% of their staff is now comprised of, of, um, of, of, of female employees. And so it's been excellent to see that growth in the game I know, you know, I have a wonderful mother, two wonderful sisters, a strong, you know, passionate wife about what she does. Women bring bring a great perspective to, to the golf course industry. I think uh, men seem to elevate and, and act a little bit better when, when ladies are in their professional setting. Um, and so I, I think that's a great trend that we're seeing. It's only going to make us better. Um, and so I, I think that's that's been amazing. We saw the collaboration um, with all the, the female volunteers out at the Olympic Club. And so the USGA is just so passionate about that. And it's something I'm excited about. Um, and and it's, it's, it's great timing, right? We, we need new eyes and new, new ideas in golf. And, and, and what better way to do that than, uh, than the group of people that make up half the population? It just makes too much sense. So I think it's a great trend that I'm seeing and certainly been helping golf courses um, you know, throughout the Southeast and throughout the country. But uh, I don't even know if that answered your question. But no, it definitely does. Two things, yeah, two things that I'm excited about that blow me away. I mean, I'm, I'm at golf courses and, and they're, you know, really, really making themselves way better just by, just by looking at different, uh, different folks and, and having a more diverse workforce. Did you ever meet Will Lannon on the, he was on the tech grounds crew and it was an undergrad. He just graduated like last year, I think. 
I, I'm sure our paths crossed, but I don't. I don't no, remember. he he's an assistant uh, superintendent at uh, Fairfax Country Club in Northern Virginia. One of our students is working for him. One of our girls is working for him. So it's it's definitely an awesome trend. And like I like I tell everybody, they don't break things. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they are very meticulous with their work you know so it's definitely something that is helpful when you don't have broken down machinery so um something that uh, again you seem so dedicated and so passionate about what you do um and you're just getting started there um what is it that you hope to accomplish in your role as the agronomist for the usga for the years to come I think, you know, I keep saying this, this is a theme. It probably just relates to my background as a superintendent, my background as, um, you know, a researcher is I really want to connect those two, right? Sometimes they seem separate and with separate goals. And, you know, we see where university research is not always relatable to the golf course superintendent in the game of golf, right? So I really want to help connect the dots there, right? Fund applicable research that, you know, and, and promote that sort of research and then help translate that to the golf course superintendent. So kind of be a conduit between research and golf. Um, and, and if that's my, you know, if, if at the end of my career, I can, I can say that I helped, you know, kind of get back to basics, right? I think golf a lot of times need to get back to basics, right? Keep it simple and, um, and just look at, at our core agronomic practices. Uh, I, think, I think I will be very successful. That, that you will be because again it's a, that's such an important aspect of having the ability to connect those two because a lot of a lot of superintendents want answers but they don't turn to the right people or turn to the right setting um and it's if to have someone like you that's going to solve their problem so um like you said earlier you're based out of pinehurst home to one of the most iconic golf courses in the country um and you were sort of talking about sort of that forecasting, you know, in preparation for the amateurs and for the professional events the USGA puts on. Could you sort of discuss um, what you're doing with that sort of forecasting for the major events that you're doing? Um, meaning, again, whether it's five years out, two years out, one year out, six months out, sort of break down the different ideas that, again, what you as the agronomist are doing to help them be prepared for when the actual event occurs? Sure. So as we are building our championships, you know, we, we know that, that these golf courses are going to host these championships eight and nine years out. And so what we want is predictability. And um, Scott Mingay, one of the engineers that, you know, one of the, one of the brains behind some of the things we do at the USGA said it best. He used to work in the in the motorsports world, right? So when, when they went into a race, right, they were almost 99% certain how the car was going to perform, right, what the racetrack was going to be like. And then they could they could account for that 1% error or 1% curveball, right, at, on race day. That's what we're trying to do, right? We are trying to be so predictable in how the golf course is going to perform when our championships are held. Um, and we do that by collecting data, Right. So we want it. We want to make data driven decisions and we want to make informed decisions. And so years out, we're collecting data. We're looking at surfaces, how they perform in different you know, times of the year, different environments, different you know, weather situations. And so weather is our big curveball right, that we can't control. And so we, we want to make it as predictable as possible. And so we want to make sure that our surfaces, particularly our putting greens, 
um, are set up to, to succeed uh, in, in any weather situation. So we want to collect data. We want to we want to make our championships as predictable as possible, even though that's impossible. Um, but we, we want to make sure that we we uh, control what we can control heading into those big championships. Certainly Pinehurst number two. I mean, they, they are they, they operate at a very, very high level all the time. We could go host the U.S. Open there, you know, any June. And so that's why it's been selected as one of our one of our anchor sites. We have a great relationship with those folks. I've already learned a lot, you know, from the likes of, of Bob Farron and John Jeffries and, 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 and others there at Pioneer. So, um, and that's, that's great stuff that, that we can go and take out in the field and, uh, and help, help make recommendations for other golf courses. But yeah, we, we want to control, we can control and predict and be able to predict, you know, how the surfaces are going to respond to any sort of weather things that are thrown our way. Friggin' mother nature. She always wins, you know? Yeah, yeah, undefeated, just like gravity. They're yes. both undefeated. Make sure out of that, you know? <laughs> the two undefeated <laughs> things in this world. Um, something that you were sort of talking about right there, and I recently read a tweet of yours talking about a podcast that the USGA put out about organic matter percentages and greens and how one uses the data to make uh, data-driven decisions. Um, can you sort of discuss some of the other data that USGA is focusing on to help superintendents to make those data-driven decisions? Because, again, things that I've even talked about with Dr. McCall, whether it's growing degree days, soil temperature, uh, all these different things that really when you're in the moment and you're taking care of your green or your field or your fairway, sometimes that doesn't come to mind. You know, it's just a cultural practice that we're working on, you know. What are some of the big ones that you've seen that have become sort of uh, prevalent and sort of at the forefront of making really good data dri data driven decisions? I apologize, alliteration. Yeah, so analytics has come to golf, right? It's been in other sports for a long time. It's in almost all other businesses, and so whether it's been in you know the way baseball has changed with the shift and you know, looking at different ways to play that game and, and how we recruit and analyze players, you know, it's come to the game of golf through advanced metrics like, you know, strokes game. And so um, golf has always kind of been this balance of art and feel and, you know, and so in the game of golf, players are looking at more analytics for how they're going to develop their swing, what their priorities are going to be. And so, and, and finally that's made it to the golf course maintenance industry. Um, and so what we're trying to do is it's still a blend of art, right, feel and science, but we're trying to eliminate as much error as possible. And that's through collecting data. And that can be cumbersome. It can really, you know, be hard to track and manage. Um, but what that does and the thing that I really harp on in this field is, you know, as a golf course superintendent, right, how are you communicating with the end user, with the stakeholder, or as a golf course owner, or as a golf course manager, how are you communicating what you're doing and why you're doing it? And the easiest way to do that is with data. Not only does it help you make the decision, that's fine, that's part of it, but it allows you to communicate not only what you're doing, but why you're doing it, right? So when we look at these things like, like I talked about, you know, Brian Whitlark and, and Doug Soldat and, and Micah Woods, all these, all these brilliant people are looking at how we're standardizing organic matter testing. And that's what the podcast was about. And I would certainly, you know, plug the USGA Green Section podcast. Adam Miller's doing an amazing job 
you know, getting that thing out there. He's our director of education for the green section. And so make sure you, you listen to all those episodes. I learn something every time, but, you know, so for collecting organic matter. And so they're standardizing how we do that, right? It's always been done differently. Do we leave the grass on, take it off? You know, what depth are we, are we measuring? What, um, what size plug are we taking? And so if you're doing that differently every time, you're not comparing apples to apples on your own golf course, right? Between this green and that green. And then more importantly, between years, right? Every golf course is gonna have their own kind of idea of where they need to be for organic matter based on their own goals. And so we need to be able to assess, you know, the same way every year. And so those are the type of standards that they're developing. Once again, the USGA working with, with the uh, research universities and, and folks that are doing an amazing job with that. So, um, you know, what we want to look at with, with other data metrics or like, like something that's become standardized, I think, in our industry is, is moisture management with, with something like a, with a soil moisture meter. So we're, we're looking at that. Something that's come, um, come on strongly, I think, in the last, let's say, five or six years, maybe even longer, has been clipping volume, right? So how much yield we're taking off of our putting surfaces, right? In all other uh, agronomy, yield is very important, but we don't necessarily want too much yield, right? So it's about balancing growth and, uh, and playing surface performance. So yield is very important. Um, firmness is important. You know, speed is important. And what I try to talk with golf courses on is developing a range for what you want your putting green speed to be, um, right? We don't want to peak at 12 and a half feet on the stint meter for an event and then be at 10 the next day. We, consistency is more important than max speed. So we really want to make sure we, we develop a range of speed that the club is comfortable with and that fits their putting surfaces and, and goals and clientele and that sort of thing. And then the stint meter is just great for consistency between putting greens, right? So we're using all of these metrics to make, to make decisions, but more importantly, you know, what we're doing is, is using those, those data points to communicate why we do what we do, right? And not only why we're mowing or rolling or poor air fine or whatever, but, but also, right, what we're achieving with that. Um, and so I think that's, that's critical. Um, and, and also with, with as important as labor is, and we kind of hit on that earlier, then the, where our resources are going, right? If we're spending 85 man hours, you know, on putting greens or, or uh, you know, bunkers or whatever it is every day, right? Then, then how are we prioritizing our resources? So I think data is really important. But listen, managing golf courses is still an art. There's still feel to it. People, you know, the green thumb is real. Some people are really good at growing grass. Some people, you know, are, are better to have other strengths. But what makes every great manager, you know, what the consistent trend through, throughout is how they communicate. And so um, I, I think having that data is a great way to communicate. Absolutely. And uh, something I'm sort of curious about is that, um, Cultural practices sort of come from, again, that research and what has been said, you know, what has been told, okay, aeration is key. Um, and it's important that we're doing this because, again, you want the porosity to be better. You want the water to flow. You don't want standing water in your fairway, stuff like that. And uh, I think it was, I was talking to Matt Wharton when I was in college, actually. He said they only started top dressing their fairways like a couple years before that, which is probably like, 
early 2010s or something. And that wasn't sort of a standard of practice before then. With the USGA, is there any sort of cultural practices that you think that the USGA had a major impact of sort of becoming a standard of practice in, again, the, the superintendent's role on a golf course? That's a great question. Uh, first off, yeah, if you ever have any questions, Matt, Matt Wharton, Matthew Wharton at the Carolina Golf Club and, and proud Hokie alum is, is a great person to bounce those things off of. Great superintendent. Talk about a great communicator, right? How many industry contacts does Matthew have? So awesome dude. Great, great uh, representative of Virginia Tech turf grass. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of cultural practices, right? The USGA and research has been involved in What's been really interesting with ultra dwarf management and surface management. So we've, uh, the USGA has been working hard for the last three or four years. And we were involved in this research at Virginia Tech is looking at all these various inputs and data points and how they impact surface performance of putting greens. Um, and right now we're offering a tool, you know, it's, it's, it's called Deacon. It's kind of for, for looking at all these inputs, managing them, and then how we're able to communicate that. With our, with our stakeholders, which is going to be our golfers, our members, our, our board, whoever, general manager. But what we've been able to find is that, you know, what key inputs make the biggest difference for putting green performance, and at least on the ultra or Bermuda grass, that's been the vertical mowing and top dressing. So one thing that, that I think golf courses need to look at, and our research has bore this out, how much sand are you getting down, right? Kind of like Matthew was talking about on fairways, but specifically on putting greens, how much sand are you getting down? and how it's impacting performance. So not only measuring, you know, how often you're verticutting, how deep you're verticutting, right? How much volume of sand is going down and how often and how that impacts the next, let's say seven to 14 days of your playing surfaces. So I think the more data that we collect and the more that we understand, right? It, it'll help golf courses make those decisions and, and kind of schedule those, those cultural practices. And once again, the decision making is fine, but being able to communicate with hard data, right, with your stakeholders about why you do it and what we can predict the putting greens are going to do after a top dressing event, you know, for the next seven to 14 days is what's so important because your stakeholders and their line of work and their business, they're looking at, at uh, statistics and, you know, kind of advanced metrics and, and, and um, using those to make decisions. And I think that's become such a important thing to have sort of in your repertoire for, again, you have your greens committees, you have your members, you have all these different things like, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? You know, questioning your work. And well, if you have the data to say, well, this is what we use, it can make them very quiet, very fast. You know, <laughs> there isn't something that it can be come, come back at them with, you know? Well, all of a sudden you're speaking their language, yeah. right? Even if they don't fully understand every data point, it, it makes you an informed, right? Someone that you're bringing a lot of weight to that conversation instead of just saying, well, I didn't feel like the greens were draining very well or, you know, our rooting wasn't where I wanted it. Um, this is why we're aerating. And so you're coming with, no, this is, this is a standardized method developed by university research. We've been testing organic matter every year. We've been working with, um, you know, these standards and, and this is where we are and this is kind of our baseline and so this is why we need to remove this amount you know have this amount of surface disruption this is the amount of sand we're going down with we know that when we verticut and top dress 
right? We're peaking out our performance of our putting greens for the next seven to, to nine days, whatever that looks like. All of a sudden, you just bring a lot more credibility to the table. Um, and so that's where it's such a such an important communication tool. And I see people talking about you know data-driven decisions, and that's great. It's probably things that superintendents already inherently know, but it's the communication that's going to be the, the real game changer, I think. Absolutely. Communication is key to everything, you know, and it's it's funny how people come to that realization after years and years of doing thing uh, something and everything is rooted in communication, whether that's with your workers, whether that's with people who are above you that you have to work for. If you're communicating, things are going to be a lot easier, you know. Um, something that, I, again, it's very important with your current position being in the Southeast region, uh, what is it specifically that you are looking for sort of in the research that's occurring in these universities uh, for the climate that's present again, from sort of, you were talking about Georgia up um, and bringing that to the superintendent and being that conduit, like you were saying, um, to sort of, again, help in bettering their abilities and bettering their outcome of their courses. Certainly. So I think, you know, kind of if, if I'm looking at, you know, taking labor out, but looking at the critical component, the critical challenges facing golf courses in the Southeast, first off, it culturally, uh, as far as cultural practices, I think off types and ultra door Bermuda guys putting greens are, are one of the biggest challenges we're facing right now. Um, and so there's a lot of great research that's gone into this and how we manage for these things. Um, and, and we're learning a lot more. You know, I was just with with Gerald Henry, Henry at UGA the other day, and a lot of their research has looked at how we've gotten here, right? How these off types mutate, which ones, you know, have, have more problems, the, the farm stock that we're dealing with, and kind of all these variables, genetics and things, once again, way over my head, but how we've gotten here, and then also solving for management, right? I was with Dr. Bert McCarty the other day, and he's you know, he's obviously a wheat scientist and what's forefront on his mind and a lot of researchers throughout the Southeast is herbicide resistance. So we're not talking about labor or, or money or anything like that, but we're talking about how we manage for resistance and prevent herbicide resistance, especially when it comes to the grassy weeds and, and that sort of thing. So uh, POA, you know, there's a, there's a huge grant that a lot of these universities are on right now looking at, looking at POA and, and, and the impact of that. And herbicide resistance is certainly a big part of that story. And then when it comes to uh, disease management, we know our root-borne diseases, whether it be pythium root rot, take-all root rot, you know, and, and those interactions with nematodes, um, you know, really those are the, some of the key components. You know, every, every challenge is different. It might be water quality if you're in the coast. It might be something else if you're in the mountains, right? We have a very, we, we have a very diverse um, environment throughout the Southeast. Like you said, and just alone in, in your state, you know, you, you kind of get all the extremes. But um, those are the main things that, that I'm seeing, that, that I'm experiencing. And so that the, the researchers are doing a great job of addressing. So um, I, think, I think those are the critical challenges right now outside of labor. Definitely. And like you were saying, I, I told you earlier, I was in Blacksburg the other day. It was like sunny and 70 and it's like 98 here in Northern Virginia. When I get back, it's like it's yeah. only three, it's only a three hour drive. It can't be that different. You know, <laughs> elevation and everything is just crazy. You know, um, 
something that again we sort of talked about before we started um what i'm curious about as well is i'm sorry for saying curious way too much <laughs> um how involved are you with different organizations like the uh, green uh golf course superintendent association of america pga different things again that usga really brings so much uh benefit to their organization uh as a whole right so i think there's a lot of collaboration um between all of those you know kind of entities in golf and you know like i said i've, I've had a very short time with usga but i've already felt very welcomed by the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association, the Tennessee folks, the Georgia folks, right? Everyone in kind of my region has, has uh, you know, welcomed me with open, open arms, whether it be Tim Krieger and the, the folks at the Carolinas, um, right? So we've already connected. It, it's been a great relationship. I've, I've felt a warm welcome. And the same thing from our allied golf associations. So that's going to be more of our, you know, golf courses in general, whether that be the Carolinas Golf Association. Um, and so, you know, I, I think we all really need to work together and champion each other and, and make sure that, that everyone understands our, the different roles that we play in the game of golf. Um, and certainly the USGA is involved, you know, on the equipment side, on the game side, on the superintendent side. So we, we kind of have to have a relationship with everyone and, and nurture that relationship and figure out how we work well with each other. But so far, I felt nothing but a warm welcome from those folks in our region. And uh, I look forward to continue to work with everyone. Um, something that we always ask uh, in our podcast, and I'm always curious because it's one question that we always get different answers on because it's really unique to, again, an individual's career. Um, when you started off in this industry uh, back with at Clemson, you know, getting your feet wet, understanding that this is something really unique, um, to now again working for USGA. Um, is there anything that you wish you knew before you got started that would have maybe helped you, maybe better, maybe really just understand sort of moving forward? And why would you want to know that? I think it's just about networking and surrounding yourself with great people. And if you don't have the answer, ask the question. You know, um, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right. And so just like you said, whether you're reaching out to, you know, Matt Warden or other Hokie alum or, or other just folks in the turf grass uh, industry or golf business, um, make sure that you're networking, developing your list of contacts. Right. Who you can reach out to. Finding a mentor was critical to me, you know, knowing who my mentors were, uh, who I could learn from. And they were different people. Right. Don't just look for mentors in the obvious places. The, the largest single influence in my uh, career has been John Anderson, who's the equipment manager at Willow Oaks Country Club, right? John's been in the business for 35 years. Um, he, 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 he's done it all, right? He's seen it all. Uh, and he's seen how we progressed and how sometimes we get ahead of ourselves as, as golf courses and we're doing too much, you know, and, and, um, and not having a, a balance of, of balancing the biology with the playability with, with the work-life balance. So, Find those mentors and those great relationships um, in your life and then also find your network of people that you can really lean on because you're going to need them. And, um, and I think that's one thing that I wish, you know, that I knew when, when I was, <laughs> I wish I was better at when I was, was, was younger uh, and something I'm certainly working on in, in my role because the, the larger your network is, 
you know, the better you're going to be because as soon as you realize that you don't know everything and you can go to this person for this topic and this person for advice, then the better off you're going to be. Sort of to go with that idea of getting networking and better understanding more around you through other people. Um, what's what current trends have you seen in the industry as a whole uh you talked about the female trend in our industry and how it's going to be great for the future of the industry is there any other trends or anything that you think that truly shows that there is a bright future for golf course superintendents across america absolutely you know golf course superintendents you know they wear a lot of hats they they continue to adapt and, and really thrive in a very difficult environment and there, there's a lot of things that are challenges, you know, just like I talked about before, um, you know, I think all the challenges are very different. They're very regional. They're very topical for your own specific golf course, but the networking, I think, I think the use of different social media platforms and, and sharing of ideas, right. Open source journals, that sort of thing has been great. And, and having a collaborative environment where people can learn from each other, you know, all of that's great. But, but what I'm excited about right now is certainly the data-driven, um, you know, communication stuff where we're, we're collecting data, we're, we're helping make decisions, but then we're able to use that data, right, to speak this language that our stakeholders understand. So I think collecting data and using it to communicate as well as make decisions is, is the single, uh, single biggest trend that I'm excited about. I love it. It's it's definitely, again, something that I am very intrigued by. Uh, we're actually hoping to build a facility where we're going to be able to do research for all the different universities and run their trials. And our, again, even the difference between Northern Virginia and, again, Southwest Virginia, there's still that much of a difference. Um, but, again, run trials for bluegrass, Bermuda grass, all these different things. Uh, with this new facility that we're going to hopefully get here in the next couple of years. So we're excited about that and being able to be a part of it. So um, with everything, again, it's such a incredible industry. There are so many great things going on and it's great to see uh, the, the big thing that a lot of people are worried about is again, that next generation, the next uh, group coming in, uh, where to find them, different things. And we try our best in our program to sort of, again, show that opportunity that there is. Um, what would be your best words of advice for kids who are interested at, again, such a young age who are coming into those years of making that decision of whether taking that next step of going for a college degree or even just entering the industry and working their way up? Well, first off, I certainly want to highlight the, the good work that you're doing there, you know, Drew and, and other, you know, turfgrass faculty at these high schools are doing an amazing job of, of creating an environment where, where kids can learn about this, right? And their parents can learn about it. And advocating for the industry, I think, is something that, that you're really leading the charge on. And so I can't speak highly enough. As, as Virginia Tech, we're super proud of you at the USGA. We are so appreciative of what you're doing to develop the next leaders, you know, in the game of golf. And with that said, for students, right, they need to learn as much as possible, but learn how to advocate for themselves, um, right? You, you've got to build your, your own brand, so to speak, right? Advocate for yourself. This is a profession. This is not just a job. This is an important part of, of the game of golf, right? You're working in sports, uh, you know, or if you're in the turfgrass industry, working in other sports, right? It's a very important thing. We're, 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 
developing and maintaining the playing services for, for one of the greatest games in the world, whether that be baseball or football or soccer, or in, in our case, the game of golf. So advocate for yourself. This is an important profession, right? Network and, and kind of build, build your own network of people and figure out what you want to be and how you're going to get there. Um, I think setting goals and developing standards for how you're going to you know, thrive in your career is critical to long-term success. So never stop learning, you know, enjoy what you do, but, but make sure that, that you surround yourself with people that are going to help you get there. Well, I can't thank you enough. This has been incredible. Um, I'm so happy for you to be able to use to be at USGA. They're lucky to have you and everything. And it's, it's truly, uh, awesome to talk with you about all this this has been a great and fantastic such great information and everything so i really appreciate you taking the time oh thank you man I, i'm honored to be on the podcast this is an amazing thing that you're doing you know and, and really helping uh you know build the next generation of, of golfer superintendents and turf grass managers and just love what you're doing there drew you're the man thanks so much i appreciate that we're trying you know i got, I got a bunch of kids actually all over the country i got one in denver kid out in Encino, kid in Florida, down in Florida, and and then one up here at Trump National in Northern Virginia, so that are graduates, awesome. so they're at Tech now, so it's been... So yeah, another shameless plug, if, if you're not going the four-year or two-year route at Virginia Tech, you know, Dr. Goatley has developed, I worked with him on this last year, the Virginia Tech School of Turfgrass Ecology and Management, so it's a 14-year intensive, or 14-week, excuse me, intensive um Turfgrass management, you know, certificate program. It's all online. You, you do all of the work through, um, you know, obviously through Canvas and, and the online uh, work workflow uh, at Virginia Tech. But it's an amazing opportunity. And you're once again, you're building out your network. And that's what I tried to tell our first class of VT STEM folks, you know, men and women from around the country. You know, now you have all these new resources, right? Your name is now associated with Virginia Tech Turfgrass. Call on Dr. Goatley, Dr. Askew, Dr. Kuhar, right? Entomologist, um, whoever that is, you know, to, to, to help your network and, and answer your questions. Um, and so that's that's a shameless plug for something that Dr. Goatley's doing there. And not everyone has the opportunity to go to a four-year program, uh, with, you know, for whatever reason. So that's a great way to, to further your education from your living room. I, I'm sick of furthering education from my room. I'm going to be honest with you on that one. <laughs> this past year was not the, the greatest thing, but it's definitely an awesome program. So definitely yeah. be sure to check it out.